My name is Paul Ducklin. I am a senior technologist at Sophos, and uh, I'm be talking today to Luke Groves, cybersecurity specialist. Thanks for joining us, Luke. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Now, a large part of what you do is try to build up passion about computer security in a company that obviously is already very passionate about computer security. That sounds like a, a kind of endless job. Oh, there, are, there are pros and cons. Um, the, the one benefit of uh, being in a security company is that uh, a lot of the people here are naturally already very security conscious. They've got uh, some great ideas. They're always on the lookout and, and helping us out. Uh, on the flip side, of course, being a security company, there's the uh, opportunity to think that uh, IT security is all sewn up. No thought needs to be given to it uh, as an employee because we, it's taken care of. I guess we also have the issue, and this is not unique to technology companies, though maybe we have it in spades. We have loads of staff whose job is to be inquisitive about security and people like that in the organisation. You do need to make sure that they're in the fold and that they're behaving themselves internally and not treating life as a, as a kind of giant security exercise to see how far they can get. Yeah, exactly. As, um, you know, we've got a lot of people here with a, with a lot of knowledge um, and, and a lot of those people want to, want to play around and investigate the, uh, the latest and greatest things and the, and the perhaps slightly more malicious things. Give them that freedom to roam, um, but in a safe environment. You know, obviously, we're not going to do that in a corporate environment. That needs to be uh, squirreled away in a, in a, a highly regulated uh, environment that's uh, segregated from everything else. I guess it's, it's worth trying to explain a little bit about what we meant by the title, where it said security and surveillance, uh, how to avoid security turning into snooping. Uh, what I hope to get out of you today is how you keep track of what people are doing, how you keep them on the straight and narrow, how you make sure they're not doing the wrong thing, how you encourage them to do the right thing, but without having a sort of corporate attitude that is, we're going to monitor everything you do and beatings will continue until morale improves, which is, it's never really going to work as far as computer security is concerned, is it? No, it's, if you're if you're seen as the bad guys or the, uh, you know, the, the people are always watching everything you do, then it, it, that just creates animosity. Um, it's not a good relationship. You know, we need a good working relationship with all the employees at Sophos so that you know, they know that they can come to us uh, with information, questions, uh, suggestions, you name it. Walking that line between collecting data that you can re you know, act upon and not monitoring every single move that someone makes, uh, it can be a fine line. It's, it's one that probably isn't going to be the same for every company or organization. It's, it's going to vary on, on what you do uh, as a company, how large or how many employees you've got, or how disparate your company is. Do you have lots of offices around the globe? It's a decision that has to be made uh, as a company, not just as a security team, so that it has buy-in throughout. So obviously, we use our own products internally. shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. <laughs> And we sell those products to other people. Now, clearly, a security product like an email filter or a web filter it's possible to abuse a product like that, isn't it? You know, if you've got something that can look inside emails that are going out and coming in with the best will in the world, we know Gmail does it and Microsoft Outlook dot com does it for things like targeted ads. That's mm -hmm. a machine reading it. We also know that software does it to look for spam and malware and other stuff. But if you are recording everything, if you are monitoring too much, if you are collecting large amounts of data about your employees, that doesn't necessarily give you information that is going to be particularly useful from a security point of view. And it does create that culture of surveillance or that culture of big brother, doesn't it? 
I mean, a lot of the time, slightly more basic information can be just as useful in terms of uh, perhaps subject line, if, uh, if, if you're happy with that, um, the, the sender, the recipient, the size of the email. And, you know, simple data like that can give you an idea that one particular person is sending huge amounts of data out to what looks like their personal email account or something like that. So without knowing what's in there, we've already started to build up a picture of, you know, the, there's a lot of data being sent out of the company or something like that. Well, it, it's funny, isn't it, that, that I still meet a lot of people, whether they're using our email products or somebody else's, who absolutely insistent understandably on scanning all email coming in because nobody likes getting spam. They love having it filtered out. They want phishing to be dealt with. They want malware attachments to be identified where possible and just thrown in the dustbin. But when you say to them, well, do you actually do the same sort of non, not human intervention scanning for outbound mail? They go, why bother? You know, we're worried about keeping the bad stuff out. But some sort of surveillance, if you like, of out what's going out is just as important, isn't it? Because security is as much about keeping the good stuff in as it is about keeping the bad stuff out. Exactly. I mean, that's the kind of thing where you, you do get the uh, the indicators that something might not be right if you, if you are seeing huge amounts of mail going out from one particular user. Um, if you are, If you do have like the frequency at which they usually send mails out and then suddenly that ramps up that can be an indicator that there's something not quite right um, again come back to the volume and, it, and it's things like that if you've got a, a person that's due to leave the company soon that's the kind of stuff where you keep an eye if, if you wanted to keep an eye on that particular person and start to see if their the data going out via their email to perhaps their personal inbox starts to ramp up but it's not just about trying to catch out people who are doing wrong is it that that's what we often think of as surveillance and mm -hmm. that's the nasty side of it the snoopy side of it but like. it is important to try and protect people from themselves so if somebody mm -hmm. needs to send say a list of email addresses that have been collected with consent and they're supposed to send it say to someone else in marketing who knows they're allowed to use them but they accidentally pick an outside email address mm -hmm. it'd be quite good to notice that they probably didn't mean to do that yeah, absolutely. It's it's not just about blocking malicious stuff. It's it's accidental or uh, uh, accidental steps by employees. Let's say uh, you've had a phishing email or a social engineering email. It would be good to see if someone's responded to that or not. And if they have, um, then we can jump on that and, and start to discuss the best ways to uh, avoid any problems. Yeah. If someone has reported a phishing email to you that they've received, you can take the data from that based on the subject line. You don't need the the whole content of the email, but you know who the sender was, you know what the con uh, the subject line was, uh, and you can then search through your mail logs to see who else in the company received that. And if there are any indeed any links in the email that you know a copy off from the person that reported it, we can then go to the web logs and see what has any have we seen any traffic to this domain uh, in the last twenty four hours. Okay, now that you'll hear people saying, well, what you should do is you just you log everything you just collect everything because disk space is really cheap these days and you get this huge cupboard and you tip everything in there and then in the future when we've got more powerful cpus or we're smart trip data science or we've got an inkling of actually what we could have looked for a year ago you can go back and mine that data and find out something interesting about whether xyz in the company was naughty do you think that's a step too far as well or is it okay to collect stuff in the hope that it might be useful later it's good to collect data, but it's, in my view, it's generally best to collect the data that you need, that you know you're going to make use of. I think quite a few companies that I've spoken to in the past have gone through a similar path where they've just grabbed every single log they can get hold of, log all the things, like you say, store them away, uh, and then just start searching through them as, as, as required. Uh, and what you tend to find is that 
well, A, you've got a huge amount of data in there, uh, and some of it might be very private, confidential, uh, and you've now got a, a store of confidential data or, or, uh, or whatever it is in one location. In, in, in some respects, you've done the hard work if someone was to get in and, uh, and nick that from you. But then the other uh, parts are, is it, do you actually need all that data? When you're actually searching through the data that you're that you want, uh, you've got a lot of noise in there if it's just full of everything uh, that you've collected for the last year that you've not actually made use of. A smarter approach tends to be, and it depends on the maturity of your security team or your company, just start to collect small amounts at first if that's what you want to do, uh, and you know, write your notable events or your rules to trigger on certain things within that if needs be. But only uh, you know, start with the basics rather than collecting everything. And then as you've got the basics down, you can start to expand and you can always start ingesting more logs at a later date. There's a slightly nastier side to it, or a slightly riskier side to it, isn't it, with data, in that if you just collect everything and then you think, hey, let's go and see what we can find, there's a genuine risk that you'll end up essentially confirming your own prejudices. You'll think, oh, let's look for something. And if you've got all the data in the world, you'll, you'll probably find it there and you may end up reaching useless or, or even deleterious conclusions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you can, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you can start, if, if, if you think you know the answer already, then you could probably find something to, to prove that or at least confirm your suspicions um, just if you've got unlimited amount of logs. It's a question of whether you want to collect all that in the first place. Just going back to your point before about just collecting everything and whether you need it for forever and a day. You know, there is a limit in most businesses as to how much data you can store. Now, if you make a clear uh, point of just collecting the data that's useful to you, you can keep that for a lot longer rather than if you've uh, collected absolutely everything and you've filled up the data storage, you've got no room left for anything else, and then you've got to start churning out the old stuff and, and there might be some useful data in there. So just collecting yes, everything for the sake of it might actually impede you uh, down the road rather than help. Having said all of that, and you know, I, I agree with you, and I, I like working in a company that does care about doing the right thing by its staff, that we don't want people to put the company at risk. If someone is dodgy, we'd like to know and we'd like to get them out. But at the same time, we don't want to know what everyone does just because we can and just because it might be useful in the future. Yeah, I, I think that's going to have an impact with the, uh, the onset of GDPR next year. We'll probably uh, change the way people work a little more, a little bit and they'll collect this data. Monday's webinar topic was GDPR. But yet there's still that tension, isn't there? And it's almost as though, particularly in the United Kingdom, it's almost as though we have a tension between two parts of the public service. So we have people in Parliament saying, oh, terrorist attacks, crime, it's terrible. We need, you know, we need ISPs to keep web browsing history because we might be able to go back in two years' time or a year's time and find some terrorist stuff. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, we have the Information Commissioner saying, you know what? We don't like the idea that you collect data purposelessly, and we don't like the idea that you collect data and then you use it for a purpose that was not clearly disclosed in the start. And those two are in an almost unbearable tension, aren't they? How, how do you think that's going to pan out? Yeah, there's a definite conflict there. I, uh, I wish I could tell you how it's going to pan out, because uh, I think uh, that would make me quite a rich man, because I, I think it's going to make for some interesting, uh, interesting battles. I mean, with ISPs collecting all the data, I think one thing we are going to see is some, some massive breaches uh, over the coming years from those ISPs. We've already seen breaches from ISPs in the past. We know um, yes. they can be vulnerable, um, but now they're going to be hoarding uh, a lot more information. And, and in many respects, most of them don't want to do it. They're just being told to. Um, and there's going to be a, a vast amount of data in there. So, and as you say, on the flip side, GDPR is telling telling us, well, perhaps think about toning down the amount of stuff you're logging. Yeah, I think businesses in, in some respects, especially ISPs, are going to have a hard time walking that line. Well, that's something you touched on earlier, that 
There's the practical side of collecting too much, logging too much, monitoring, you know, snooping rather than reviewing leaves you in the problem. Well, when you've got all this data, you can't get through it all. How do you decide what to throw out? It becomes this burden that you have to store it. And there's also this issue that if the crooks know that you're the kind of company that just religiously collects everything in case, doesn't that make you a bigger target? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you could be creating a, you know, a gold mine of information for, for well, the wrong people, uh, effectively. And yeah, going back to the ISPs, if, if they're being forced to store all this data um, and, and it's the onus is on them to, to protect it, um, or, or do we take it, you know, or do we move it all centrally to one big storage area and create one massive bullseye target for everyone to try and breach? And so the, it's, uh, it's going to be a tricky one. So it's almost as though he who snoops too much on his or her own staff. It's almost like you're making yourself a likely target for other people who want to snoop on you because they know that you're going to have that data somewhere mm. and they just have to wander around and find it. And secondly, they know it's it's kind of going to be in some repository where it probably doesn't get looked at a lot. Yeah, and, and, and it also starts to mention the question of who has access to that data as well. So not only have you got a nice big uh, pot of gold uh, being stored in the, uh, in the company, but you need to think carefully about who has access to that data and are they a target as well? Obviously, generally public knowledge of who has direct access to that, but uh, you know, they would be a means to that, uh, to that data at the end of the day. So they, you have to start walking backwards from that and figuring out what the weaknesses are to get to that data. So access controls need to know, I think, is the term that you often hear. <laughs> yeah. And of course, a term that we've used in, the, in both of our previous uh, webinars this week, divide and conquer in a network, that sort of reduces your need to do surveillance if there's less you need to look for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, access controls are very important, and, and yeah, the least amount of privileges possible is the general rule of thumb, and, and that's what uh, that's what I think we, we all try to adhere to. Um, I mean, but isn't that a rule that is uh, more honoured in the breach than the observance these days? You know, you 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 look at the average network, and it isn't aligned like Sophos is, where we've partitioned the network. Now, I know we have a special case because, of course, the malware lab, obviously, <laughs> where you want to let malware go in a controlled network, you're not going to connect that to accounts. That would be mm -hmm. crazy. But why would you, you know, we, why would you connect accounts to marketing or why would you connect marketing to the engineering test network and so forth? Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of it stems from small businesses. So initially, they're, they're on one network. There's a small number of assets. And as they grow, the network just tends to get bigger and bigger. Um, whereas, yeah, implementing uh, something like network segregation um, just simply helps restrict the uh, the traffic, the access from one part of the network to the other. And so in the event of something like, well, WannaCry recently was a good example. <laughs> I was wondering when that would come up. I was you know, thinking, is there a silver lining? Yeah, exactly. That? One part of your network gets hit by that. Well, hopefully it can't spread to the rest of it because you've got it segregated. I think the fact that we're not segregating our networks properly is kind of implicit in the way WannaCry was written, isn't it? Where you look internally, there are these two main threads of execution. Mm -hmm. One goes off trying to jump across to other networks where it expects to be successful less frequently, but only needs to get in every now and then. And then the other part of it goes, I'm going to go for broke on the inside network because I can probably map out all the file shares that I don't really need to see and, and jump to more and more and more computers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just uh, scan for all the unauthenticated file shares. And if, if, if you're on a segregated network, well, hopefully there won't be any anyhow, but you know, if there are, it'll be a small number and the spread will be contained. Do you think that 
if you have allowed your network to grow and grow and grow, maybe you're in a position where you know your cash registers are on the same network as your social media teams. Mm-hmm. And the people who are aggressively tweeting and using Facebook and, and joining in with an outside community, why on earth would they be on the same network, say, as your cash registers or you know your various business processing equipment? Does that become a bridge you can't cross? I mean, is it something you have to design in from the start? Or can you divide and conquer bit by bit and gradually partition your network? It's not a lost cause if you haven't done it yet, is it? No, I don't think so. And I think most companies don't set out with that in the forefront of their uh, network design by uh, by any stretch. But when you get to a certain size, yeah, you can start to um, seg- segregate the uh, the networks. Take uh, Just take one department at a time or office, depending on how uh, big you are, and just say, right, you know, this this quarter we're going to do uh, the development team and, and put them in an environment of their own uh, and, and segregate them out, firewalls, etc. And, and once you've done one, then the rest will probably follow quite swiftly, obviously, with the uh, corresponding rules for their particular segments. And presumably, let's assume that you could still build one big perimeter around your network and you could have one giant firewall with all the rules in it. Mm -hmm. It's much harder to have one firewall with all the rules in it than, again, to divide and conquer those rule sets so they can be looked at independently because when you have too many firewall rules in one place, they can often interfere with one another and then you end up with exceptions and exceptions mm-hmm. to the exceptions and it all gets out of control quickly. Yeah, and it, and it can get very messy. And, and, and additionally, if you've got one firewall to rule them all, so to speak, then you know the marketing team needs access on this particular port to this particular address. Well, suddenly everyone's got to have access to that. Whereas if they're in a segregated network of their own, again, it's just them rather than everyone. So we can pick and choose the relevant rules. Luke, we've been talking a fair bit about you know what you do inside the network to, to to kind of protect it from itself, as it were. Which also means that, of course, if a hacker gets in, they only get into one bit of the network. Mm-hmm. What I want to do now is is have a look at how you actually deal with a threat that comes from inside, where it isn't a hacker that's got into one watertight compartment, where it's somebody who knows all the different departments. It's so called insider threat. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen that in spades for the, unfortunately, for organizations as august as the NSA in the United States, Ed Snowden, mm-hmm. the recent shadow brokers breaches. That's high value stuff that somehow escaped from their organization. You'd imagine if it can happen to them, it can probably happen to anybody. What advice have you got for people trying to keep on top of insider threats without saying, right, we're just going to monitor absolutely everybody in a way that would probably be unpalatable with the law-abiding majority of the workforce. Yeah, that's it. It comes back to whether you collect everything, but again, can you actually process that data? I imagine the NSA probably monitor their employees quite heavily, and they still do now. (laughs) They didn't before. But in many cases, we try to monitor behavior to some extent, but not necessarily the person, but applications. Like I mentioned before, big uploads to certain sites. You know, do we see big spikes in bandwidth to sites like Dropbox or OneDrive, etc. And similarly, uh, well, little bits of behavioural thing. We rely on managers as well. Good management is important to keep an eye on their employees who who can have discussions with them or raise concerns to HR who in turn can come to us uh, as well. That's one of the the biggest steps is getting buy-in from all the managers and making sure that everyone is aware of this possible problem. So I guess that comes back to sort of where we started, which is a large part of your job, is to help to build that culture backed by security technology to stop the egregious mistakes, but to build a culture in which people will, A, look out for one another to help them do the right thing, Mm -hmm. but also that they're inclined to say, you know, I I think 
this person isn't playing by the rules without, you know, saying, oh, everyone has to spy on everybody else. Yep. A culture where if, where you're not necessarily looking, saying to staff, well, X has to look out for Y and Z to make sure that they don't tailgate, but just some way in which if there's a behavior that's creeping in inside the organization, mm-hmm. like visiting the wrong sort of sites, not doing the right thing with email, or physically tailgating, that there's somewhere to report that, even if you're not mentioning an individual by name, but just that you're raising awareness with the people who need to know that sloppiness is creeping in. Is that something you can do? So you're looking at, yeah. you're looking at overall behaviors rather than trying to catch individuals out. Yeah, well, that's it. We we want to interact with the other, the rest of the uh, the company. We want to have that, that conversation, and and they need to be able to come to us uh, with with any concerns or suggestions. So a single email address that they can send questions, concerns, or even just to contact us with you know policy questions or something like that. We found that helps a lot to help start that conversation. And um, and people, you know, we get a lot of walk ups to our desk as well just to question things. And as you say, quite often it can be. Things about, you know, they have already discussed with their employees about the way in which something's happening or the way in which they're doing something. And it's not malicious. It's usually just a question of process and which is the best way to do it. And that's when they usually come to us to help settle the argument as to how it should be done rather than the, uh, the way that they, they think it should be done. That gives you a good overview without necessarily needing to surveil or monitor. Yeah, exactly. You've got one point. So regardless of the question, as long as it's security related in some fashion, you know the email address to contact and and it will be passed to the right person within the security team at that point. Luke, I'm getting the we must take questions now because that's part of what this is all about from Daniela. So let me hand back to you, Daniela, and uh, let's see what questions we have to answer. Thank you, Paul. So the first question we have here is where does the balance lie between reactive surveillance and proactive user training and education? Does it depend on the staff population size? Good question. Yes, it is, isn't <laughs> Very it? good question. Um, oh, yeah, I, I think it, it depends on a number of things, really. I suppose the, the, the population size is very important, um, but the maturity of your uh, security team as well. Um, again, it comes back to if, you're, if your security team isn't perhaps mature enough yet to be able to deal with the influx of logs then monitoring might be kind of superfluous you're collecting all this data um, but you can't actually monitor it quick enough um, and so in many cases you're you you need good policies to be able to react to information and and uh, and then that comes back to the culture of security um, within your organization training employees to be aware of what uh, they should and shouldn't do and what to look out for training them with phishing emails and and again, empowering them to come to you if uh, if they spot something that they're concerned about. I think what a lot of companies, small, medium and large, struggle with is when you want to get going on the proactive side, where you, you're going to you know build into your, your induction process for new staff. You're going to have something about computer security and what you expect them yeah. to do and how you expect them to keep up. That implies, well, we, we need this whole division that goes around training. Well, there are lots of resources online. And I... I d- I don't want to. Uh, I don't want this to sound like uh, I've got my corporate marketing hat on. But at Sophos, for example, part of our community engagement is our very well-regarded and popular website, NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. And the idea is we're not pitching products there. We're trying to write about security news, to write about security issues in a way that our articles always have a what to do or what comes next at the end. Mm-hmm. And so, if you don't have those resources yourself, there are places that you can send your employees to, maybe a small list of URLs, 
believe it or not, you can make security interesting. And most people I've found, they quickly realize that this matters because it helps you at home as well. So if you can't do the proactive stuff yourself, there are some great free resources out there that you can bring to the attention of your staff that can kind of help in your in your training without you having to go out and build a whole department to do it yourself. Yeah, and I think you can help engagement a little bit with um, letting your users know what the kind, or the kind of things that you're experiencing as a team. Yes. You know, if, if you're getting a particular spear phishing attack against your CTO, um, it's quite a nice occasion to tell them about that and give examples. It helps engagement. It helps people realize that you're not just shouting about this stuff for the sake of it. It's actually happening uh, and it makes people think about it. Daniela, back to you for our next question. Thank you, Paul. So we have another question here, quite a long one. How do you deal with the accidental inception process and possible storage of sensitive and particular personal information an employee purposely or accidentally sends across your network, i.e. they log into the Gmail web interface and you capture their credentials? Oh, okay, so yeah, th- this we did allude to this earlier, didn't mm-hmm. we? The idea that if you monitor too much and you collect it, then you kind of find things that you didn't want to know yeah. or you've suddenly you've collected data you think heck there's a credit card number in there but it's supposed to be there because it's just someone at work is buying something online now i've got this data that i'm not supposed to store mm-hmm. so that i guess your argument was well it, unless you know what you're going to do with it and how you can store it legally and securely then don't collect it in the first place mm-hmm. because if you do say you accidentally collect somebody a staff member's credit card number and cdv2 code the number on the back mm-hmm. and store it then you've kind of suddenly offended against pci dss haven't you yep. if you've gathered this information accidentally then um, you need to uh, you need to consider or deletion of the data. But I also think in, in many respects, you, it comes back to the acceptable use policy uh, for your company and the, and the systems. And you need to make it clear to the employees what you are likely to collect or what your intentions are to collect, what data it is. And, and that, in many respects, should be a, a, a common um, reminder or a frequent reminder rather, not just something they see on day one and they never really take it in because they've got a million and one other things going on. But then, So in other words, if you're going to log uh, outbound URLs mm-hmm. so that you can, in case somebody clicks on a phishing link and then you, you're saying to your staff, we want the right to go back and find out whether it happened, then make it clear to them that what that means is that you will probably be able to figure out how much time they spend on Facebook. Yes. And they yeah. shouldn't be surprised if you know that and you have a reason for knowing it. That, that's a balance you can strike with your staff. Isn't yeah, you? exactly. And if you have collected stuff accidentally, then I, I think being open about it and talking to the user in question, if, if you know the password to their Gmail account, then suggest that, you know, explain why, how it happened. Get rid of it. Yeah, get rid of Don't it. Don't keep it because it happened to fall And ask in them your to life. change the password so that you're, you, you, know, you can't be held uh, accountable if something was to happen next week. Are we getting a bit excited there? So let's hand back to Daniela for another question. Thank you. So we've got one question here, which I think you did lightly touch on earlier. How much of an impact does GDPR have on surveillance and monitoring? Yeah, we sort of touched on that, isn't there? It's kind of saying, well, you, you, you need a good reason to collect stuff. You can't just collect everything. And my understanding now, I wish we had John Shaw here from Monday because <laughs> he's the expert on this. For sure, but yeah. my understanding is that that collection and the, the, the what, you're, what you're allowed to collect and why you're supposed to collect it and what you do with it, it doesn't just apply to your customers. It definitely applies to your staff as well. And you jolly well owe it to them to look after it. So I think GDPR does make a difference because you I imagine you won't be able to just have this blanket rule that says when you walk on when you walk into the company we're going to monitor everything and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think as Luke already explained if you're collecting that stuff just in case 
you're probably making a rod for your own back. So actually complying with GDPR and doing it the right way will actually not only be you're sort of morally and legally in the right, actually technologically it'll be easier for you as well, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things is, is understanding what data you have and where it's stored. In, in some respects, you could argue that might actually help with surveillance in the long term as, as a small business or, or, or as a company because you... You'll all of, if you don't know now, you'll soon have to know exactly what you've got and where where it is, and and that could help you uh, from an analysis point of view or monitoring point of view um, uh, to help secure the company. Absolutely, because if you think about surveillance, you, if you do, if there are people in the organisation who do have the right to learn certain things about staff, you need to know who they are so that that information doesn't get out too far. Mm -hmm. Like the crashing irony we've written about on Naked Security many times of CCTV cameras that are so insecure, you connect them up, they're wireless, Mm -hmm. they don't use encryption. So actually, instead of you watching your warehouse to see if there are crooks inside, the crooks can use your camera to to find out when the security guard's taking a break so they know exactly when to break in. So knowing what you're collecting and where it's going and who's supposed to see it is actually a great way to make sure that the crooks don't break into that giant cupboard of useful data. Mm-hmm. Daniela, I think there might be time for just... Oh, there's no more time? Uh, well, oh dear. Uh, let me hand back to you and you can lead us out by explaining what happens next. Thank you both. Thank you all for joining us today for Security SOS Webinar Summit. At the end of the webinar, you'll be served a short survey. If you could please fill this out for us. If any of your questions were left unanswered, please leave them here and we will get back to you with an answer. Thank you very much and have a great day.